Hi, everybody. Grab a Bible, open it up to Daniel chapter 1. Daniel chapter 1. In 2012, there's a George Lucas film called Red Tails that provides a a dramatized version of the true events behind a a group of World War II soldiers called the Tuskegee Airmen. Now, formerly, they belonged to the 332nd Fighter Group and the 477th Bombardment Group of the U.S. Army Air Corps, which was the precursor to the Air Force. And, And their nickname, the Red Tails, was coined after the group painted the tails of their aircraft bright red. The Tuskegee Airmen became famous for two reasons. One, they were the first African-American military aviators in United States Armed Forces. But the Red Tails hold a special significance in American history, not just racially, but militarily. During the European Air War, U.S. bombers were being shot down at increasingly alarming rates. The problem happens was the, the foreign aircraft would attack the bombers to get them uh, disabled. So the fighter pilots that were flying with the bombers to protect them would engage with the enemy aircraft and go and, and fight against them. That seemed like the obvious response, but doing so meant that the bombers were left unprotected and vulnerable to attack. And every bomber that was lost carried a crew of 10 or 11 American soldiers. So the Tuskegee Airmen were brought in and they were given a different strategy. Never leave the bombers. Never. Regardless of what's happening around, when the enemy attacks, you stay the course and you defend your charge. And the result of their steadfast devotion is overwhelming. They escorted hundreds and hundreds of bombers and over the course of the war, only 25 of their bombers were lost. Their stellar reputation became legend. If you flew a bomber, you requested the Tuskegee Airmen to fly with you. Now, the the movie depicts, they gather together on an airstrip and they shout their motto, the last plane, the last bullet, the last man, the last minute, we fight. Now, the Tuskegee Airmen are celebrated, not because they were exceptional, excellent pilots, though they absolutely were. They're celebrated because they never wavered from their duty. They never left their charge. No matter what happened, they were faithful to their calling. Now, it's this topic of faithfulness that we come to now in our journey through the Old Testament prophet of Daniel. Now, let's remind ourselves of some of the context we set up last week. King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon has become the reigning superpower over the earth. And he attacks Jerusalem for the first of three times in 606 BC, takes members of the royal family and of the nobility, and he carts them back to Babylon. His plan is to re-educate them, to train them, so that the, the best and the brightest from around the world can serve him in his kingdom. And included in this group of exiles is Daniel and his friends. They're assigned food rations, from the king's own table, so it's the king's food, the king's wine to drink, and after the three years of their planned indoctrination, uh, the king is to call them in and to test them, and then they are to begin to serve the kingdom in some capacity. Now, these Jewish boys have known only a life guided by the truth of God's scripture, and now they find themselves in a really tough spot. How are they going to respond to the temptations of this new world that they find themselves in? So let's go to the text, Daniel chapter one. We'll start in verse eight. But Daniel resolved 
that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. And God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my lord, the king, who assigned your food and your drink, for why should he see that you are in worse condition than the youths who are of your own age? So you would endanger my head with the king. And then Daniel said to the steward whom the chief of the eunuchs had assigned over Daniel and Hananiah and Mishael and Azariah, test your servants for 10 days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance and the appearance of the youths who eat the king's food be observed by you and deal with your servants according to what you see. So he listened to them in this matter and tested them for 10 days. At the end of 10 days, it was seen that they were better in appearance and fatter in flesh than all the youths who ate the king's food. So the steward took away their food and wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables. As for these four youths, God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom, and Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. At the end of the time when the king had commanded that they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. And the king spoke with them, and among all of them, none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore, they stood before the king. And in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them, he found them 10 times better than all the magicians and enchanters that were in all his kingdom. And Daniel was there until the first year of King Cyrus. Now, Daniel shows us the, the challenge and the blessing of faithfulness to God, no matter the context, no matter the consequence. He teaches us a few reasons to be faithful. Number one, be faithful because it honors God. Be faithful because it honors God. Look, look back at verse eight. But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. Now, that's quite a statement. The word the Bible uses here for defile has a religious connotation to it. So this isn't that the food is bad per se, but that it would be religiously unacceptable for him to eat it. Now, why would it be religiously unacceptable? Well, it's, it could be merely that the food is not kosher and it doesn't honor God's food laws from the Old Testament. Well, that is certainly likely true. There is more to this. This food and this wine would definitely have been offered as acts of worship to Babylon's pagan idols before it ever made it to the king's table. So to eat this food and to drink this wine is to honor these pagan false gods. But Daniel resolved. He would never honor the false gods. His loyalty, his devotion, his faithfulness is to God alone. Now with that, I think there's even more going on here. When he asks to be fed only vegetables, well, the vegetables would have been offered to the false gods too. It's not just the meat and the wine that's offered. Everything is offered. So what is it then that Daniel's really concerned about? By resolving not to defile himself, he's keeping himself away from the temptation to get swept up in the luxurious temptations of Babylon. What these boys are experiencing is unlike anything they've ever seen their entire lives. Now, one could argue that Daniel and his friends grew up sheltered. They had a very religious education. They had religious parents. They lived a very devout lifestyle that centered around God and around God's law. And now here they are in the capital of the world 
Surrounded by all of these things, they're being offered new and exotic foods and the best food and wine on the planet. So what is Daniel doing? He's showing in a very practical way, I will not conform to this culture. He doesn't even wanna dabble with the possibility of being tempted by these pagan things. And he's reminding himself every time he eats, I am not like this world. I am one of God's people and we are to be distinct. I think there's even more going on here. By the king providing all of this food and wine, I mean, we're specifically given that little detail, the king's own food and wine that's coming from his very own table. The king is providing, is creating an environment of dependence on himself. So these new exiles have the king to thank for their good fortune. Every glorious morsel of food, every delicious drink of wine, all of it comes from your good king's hand. This is part of the indoctrination process. You owe everything to the king. You are dependent only on the king. But Daniel resolved. He will not fall for it. Daniel owes everything to only one. Daniel is dependent on only one, and it is not Nebuchadnezzar. Daniel resolves he will be faithful to God alone because his faithfulness honors God alone. Now, here's the lesson for us. Decide on your convictions ahead of time. Now, can you imagine if Daniel had waited until he got to Babylon and he's hungry and he's thirsty? Can you imagine he's waited to sit there now with this food and wine in front of him and now he's gonna decide what he's gonna do? Is he gonna stay faithful in that moment? Absolutely not. He's gonna give in every single time. Daniel knows ahead of time who he is and who God has called him to be. And that predetermination of who he is and how he's gonna live makes all the difference in the world. So resolve now how you're going to honor God with your body before you find yourself alone with someone in a compromising situation. Resolve now how you're going to honor God with your finances before you get your paycheck. Resolve now that you're not gonna gossip about people before a coworker does something foolish and you really want to gossip. Resolve now that you will stay committed to your spouse no matter what long before they make you mad or disappoint you. Resolve ahead of time who you are and how you're going to honor God. Number two, be faithful because it protects you. Go back to verse nine. And God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. So Daniel resolves that he's going to be faithful to the Lord and this is God's response. God protects him and enables him to be faithful in any very tempting situation. And God's help happens even a few verses later. They're on this diet for 10 days, vegetables and water. And what is the result? The result is, the text tells us that Daniel and his friends were, quote, fatter in flesh. Now, that phrase doesn't sound good to our ears. That sounds really bad to be fatter in flesh. It simply means that they were fitter than the rest. So I'm gonna go with that one. I'm just fitter than others. It's biblical. Run with it. And, and really, how could they not be? 
they're eating only vegetables and drinking only water, of course they're going to be more fit. But after only 10 days, you're gonna see a tremendous result in 10 days alone. This is God's doing. To have such a dramatic difference show up in such a short amount of time, God's involved in all of this. Their faithfulness to God activates God's blessing in their life. Now, some people don't like hearing statements like that because they think it sounds legalistic. As if our good behavior is going to conjure up some blessing from God as if he's a genie in a bottle and if I'm good, he'll do what I want him to do. That's not what we're talking about, nor is this legalism. Calling people to holy living is not unbiblical. In fact, it is very biblical. Declaring that God blesses people who honor him does not undermine the truth of the gospel. Friends, we're not saved by the righteous things that we do. But there are ways of living that God blesses and there are ways of living that God does not bless. And there's nothing we can do to change that. First Samuel chapter two, verse 30, God says, for those who honor me, I will honor. Second Chronicles 16, nine, for the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to give strong support to those whose heart is blameless toward him. He wants to protect. He wants to bless. He wants to help. He does not give that to everybody. He gives it to those. He is searching for those whose heart is blameless towards him. So Daniel is faithful to the Lord, and what does God do in response? Look at verse 21, the end of the passage, and Daniel was there until the first year of King Cyrus. What history tells us, that's 539 B.C. He arrived in 606. So Daniel is preserved by God in a hostile culture for 67 years. Now, this phrase that Daniel was there until, it doesn't mean that Daniel died that year. It simply means that his service to the king ended that year. Daniel retires when, when Persia takes over and Cyrus begins to reign. The end of the book of Daniel and history tells us that Daniel lived a handful of years past the first year of Cyrus's reign. Daniel lives long enough to watch God's people be released from Babylon and go back home to Jerusalem under men like Ezra and Nehemiah. You have books in your Old Testament that are titled Ezra and Nehemiah. Those men were friends with Daniel in ancient Babylon. They all served the king together. And Cyrus, in the third year of his reign, lets them go exactly 70 years after the exiles were deported to Babylon. So think of Daniel's life. Early on, the Jews consider Daniel exceptional. The Babylonians, as we'll see over the next several chapters, they consider Daniel exceptional. By the time we get to chapter six, the Medo-Persian Empire takes over and Darius the Mede, who's now the king, he considers Daniel exceptional. The Persians at the end consider Daniel exceptional. How does that happen? That all of these very different kingdoms and empires that ruled Mesopotamia for a few hundred years of this area of history, all of them considered Daniel incredible. How is that even possible? It's because Daniel wasn't just faithful for 10 days on a special diet. He was faithful to God for 67 years. Day in and day out, he was faithful to the Lord and the Lord protected him. So where is it in your life 
that you know you need to be more faithful? Is it maybe a little bit more faithfulness in meeting with God more regularly in the pages of the Bible? Is it faithfulness in engaging more at church? Is it faithfulness in how you're gonna handle your money? Is it faithfulness in a relationship that's in the way or needs to change? Is it an area of sin where you need to come clean and repent? Resolve to be faithful. It protects you. Number three, be faithful because it blesses others. Go back to verse 17. As for these four youths, so Daniel and his friends, God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom, and Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. We'll see that next week in chapter two. At the end of the time, that's the end of the three years of indoctrination, when the king had commanded that they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar, and the king spoke with them, and among all of them none was found, like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore, they stood before the king, meaning they were invited to serve in the king's own court. They were in the king's own presence every single day. And in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them, he found them 10 times better than all the magicians and enchanters that were in all his kingdom. Now, God is involved in their success. You saw the phrase in verse 17, God gave them learning and skill. But these men worked hard. These men learned their culture. They performed with excellence. They did not rebel against Nebuchadnezzar. They did not become passive aggressive against Nebuchadnezzar. They weren't fighting him at every turn. They immersed themselves in their training. They excelled in their training. Why? Is it because they loved Babylon and thought it was better than Jerusalem? Is it because they thought the pagan false gods of Babylon were superior to the God of Israel? Not at all. They knew that their success would enable them to stand in leadership in Babylon and bless others in the empire. Now as we move through Daniel, one of the things that we'll see is as a direct result of their continued faithfulness to God, they are continually promoted in the empire. They will eventually become second in command. They will rule over the empire with the exception of the emperor himself. Daniel and his friends are faithful and their faithfulness put them in a unique position to represent God and to speak on God's behalf in their pagan culture. They didn't retreat to caves and become monks. They worked to help the empire succeed. Friends, culture is not God's enemy. So long as we are faithful to him, we are free to influence and to lead in whatever environment the Lord places us in. Now, Jeremiah chapter 29 records a letter that's written by God through the prophet Jeremiah to these exiles in Babylon. Now there are a couple of verses in Jeremiah 29 that are very, very well known. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you, to give you a hope and a future. We know those verses because they're splattered all over graduation gifts. Those verses are not written to a commencement crowd. Those verses are written to a concentration camp. They're written to these exiles under a foreign military superpower in Babylon. And right before he says, I have plans for a hope and a future, here's what God tells them, Jeremiah 29, four. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. 
Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease, but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf for in its welfare you will find your welfare. Seek the success of your city. You seek the success of your nation. You seek the success of your world. Why? Why wouldn't you? If you want things to go well for you, it needs to go well for the broader culture too. You and I are intricately tied to the culture that you and I live in. And we are not called by God to retreat from that culture and live in caves. We're called to be salt and light in a dark and decaying world. And here's the thing about being salt and light. Light has to be relatively close to the dark if it's gonna light it up. Salt actually has to be applied to the food if it's going to season or preserve it. Light that's hidden or salt that stays in the shaker helps no one. So talk to your neighbors. Share your faith. Go public that you follow Jesus. Have that conversation with your boss or your coworker. Seek the promotion for the influence that it will bring so you can speak on God's behalf in that place. Put yourself into uncomfortable positions. Don't retreat from the world and hide your head in the sand until Jesus returns. That is unfaithfulness to God. Your faithfulness to the Lord doesn't just honor him. Your faithfulness to the Lord doesn't just protect you. Your faithfulness to the Lord blesses everybody around you. I talked with our men about this last week at the Bible study. The phrase semper fidelis is a Latin phrase that means always faithful. It's the motto of the U.S. Marine Corps. The phrase originated, it's a very old phrase, it originated in the Roman Empire. The Roman senators, after they had what history calls their intervention, where they took over power in the empire from the emperor and they turned it into a republic, as they set up that new republic, they wanted to be always faithful to the glory of their empire. Now, the earliest definitive usage of the phrase is as a, a motto for a French town called Abbeville since 1369. The phrase has been used by multiple families and communities throughout Europe, especially in England and Ireland. Since the 1600s, the phrase has been uh, used by multiple military units across the globe. The U.S. Marine Corps adopted the motto in 1883 on order of Colonel Charles McCauley, the eighth commandant of the Marines. The phrase signifies undying loyalty and devotion. No matter the consequence, no matter the context, always faithful. That's what Daniel and his friends lived out in the harsh realities of Babylon. This is what you and I must continue to live out in our daily lives. No matter the context, no matter the consequence, simplify. We are always faithful. Now, before I pray and we take communion together, let me make a very simple point. If you wanna be faithful to the Lord, you know, it, it, it honors God, it protects you, it blesses others. There's a lot that comes from faithfulness. If you wanna be faithfulness to the Lord, you only need one thing. You need faith. You cannot be faithful without faith. That's the first step. 
So if you're not a person of faith, you, you have not placed your trust in Jesus Christ, that's step one. You cannot be faithful to him without faith in him. So we believe that Jesus is the son of God who died for our sins and rose from the dead. We repent of sin and turn to Jesus. We confess Jesus as Lord. We unite with Jesus as we're immersed in the waters of baptism. And from that place of faith, we resolve to be faithful to the Lord who's been faithful to us. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we, we hear the call to be faithful. And thank you for the calling that you place on us to do so. It, it does so many things that are great and needed. Um, our world needs more faithfulness from us. It honors you, it protects us, it, it blesses others. We wanna do all of those things. So thank you for opening up the door to make all of that happen. So make us faithful. No matter the context we're in, no matter the consequence that comes because of it, make us faithful. And God, for the next few moments, we take this little piece of bread and this little cup of juice, and with them, we remind ourselves of the faithfulness of Jesus, who, in his context of his sinful world, and no matter the consequence, costing his, his own life, he did not waver in his faithfulness to you. His, his loyalty and his devotion to accomplish salvation for sinners like us is incredible. So we take a piece of bread and we are reminded of the body of Jesus sacrificed to forgive sinners like us. And we take a little cup of juice and with it we're reminded of his blood shed to, to save, to give the hope of eternal life to sinners like us. So thank you for Jesus. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.